Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. If you are new to New City Church, you should know that we are in the middle of this fabulous sermon series called Spilling the Nativity. It's all about queer readings of the nativity, which is the birth story of Jesus. And it has been a really great sermon series. Definitely check our Facebook video archive if you want to watch previous sermons. And we also have a podcast. Yes. So today, you all are in for a treat. Siobhan Shen, professor, writer, poet, contributor to our QTPOC manger photo series is making their preaching debut today. So we're getting ready, we're buckling up to receive a word that is going to change our lives. And we're gonna show so much love for Siobhan. Let's hand it over. Take it, Siobhan. What I appreciate about this passage is that it gives room to both happy parts and the messed up parts of Jesus's birth and the immediate effects. While it's true that this is a place of joy and hope, it's also a site of crisis. Joy and crisis can live side by side. Joy because of Jesus' birth. Crisis because of all the people who are trying to attack him. The Bible's main characters tend to be the underdogs, and the nativity is really no different. But this passage read today shows creative and communal problem solving. The magi, or wise men, depending on what Bible translation you're working with, work together to find solutions to their presented problems. Whether it's the act of traveling long distances to worship the newborn king, or even finding the right place once they're in the vicinity, or seeing through the guise of a despotic and two-faced king with the help of one of God's messengers. Another thing I appreciate is the rich, the rich imagery. The Magi leaving their home country in search of Jesus by following a star. The details of their conversations with King Herod down to the very gifts that they bring. I think of the nativity scenes currently in front yards of three, long, three men with long robes standing next to the major, but they don't fit the images that I have in my head. There's there's something I find so humbling about the nativity. You have this kid who's said to be the savior of the world, but comes from a working class carpenter family. He was also born in a barn. I imagine Mary super sweaty, trying to stay polite after she just gave birth, as they have visitor after visitor after visitor. All the shepherds want to come, and all the magi come with presents. I wonder if Joseph was wondering how they're going to carry all this new stuff home once they got back. Gold is very heavy. I imagine the magi trying to find a place to wash up and change clothes before seeing Jesus so they don't look like they've just been walking through the desert for weeks. I imagine them fussing over their hair and arguing over who gets to speak to the king's family first. 
I wonder how they even heard about Jesus's birth if they lived so far away. It seemed like they knew more about it than the actual kings of the region. The Magi must have dealt with a ton of travel logistics, all to see some king that they heard of from a friend who worked with somebody's cousin, who lived on the outskirts of Jerusalem, who heard it from a neighbor who was a friend of Joseph's parents that the savior of the world might be born nearby. Imagine the level of commitment it took to make them, it took to have them take the trip in the first place, not knowing exactly what they find once they got there. I wonder about the uncertainty and anxiety they must have felt walking into that stable, wondering if they themselves were adequate or if the gifts that they brought would be well received. Even though we don't have the Magi's inner dialogue, we do know through scripture that they went through some serious obstacles to get to meet Jesus. One of the most famous things about this passage is a star that guided them to King Herod, then using that star to find Bethlehem. I did some research on what that star could have been and it was really overwhelming. There's scholarship saying that the star could have been Jupiter or Venus or Jupiter and Venus overlapping and it was so bright that it looked like it could have been a star or it could have been a comet or a supernova or a metaphor. You decide. Either way, it helped the Magi find what they needed most. Who has been your star? Who or what has been a guiding presence in your life lately? Or who do you think could be a guiding presence in your life? You can type that in the chat or just think about it in your head. Either way, just, just think about it. Jesus was made to be a guiding presence while on earth. Him being on earth was God's creative solution for human brokenness. Jesus himself is the embodiment of a creative solution for human brokenness. The nativity is an example of broken and anxious people figuring stuff out together. And that's kind of the Bible in general. A bunch of people who don't have the answers or their ish together, but come up with creative solutions for them and they do it as a community. The Israelites wandered 40 years in the desert. <laughs> they wandered 40 years in the desert. That is a hard word for me to say right now. Before they figure stuff out. <laughs> and the Bible shows that they continue to mess up in major ways after leaving the desert. There, I said it. <laughs> but God provided prophets so that her voice could be heard authentically. Prophets were a creative solution to the problems the Israelites of the problem of the Israelites constantly messing up. Though Jesus wasn't a prophet, depending on which religious tradition you're coming from, he was born because humans kept messing up. Okay, okay. Things are about to get really weird, so bear with me. New City is all about imagination, so hopefully what I say sparks your imagination rather than shuts it off. In icebreaker question that I ask, I'm a teacher, I ask a lot of my students is, if a zombie apocalypse were to happen five minutes from now, what would be your superpower, your skills that you'd use to survive and or fight? 
Some people have really intense answers to fight off the zombies, while a lot of others place more of an emphasis on attending to basic needs. One student said that he wished he had the power to stop time, stop time so that way he can get away from the zombies faster. Some others talked about weapons or food growing skills. Another had said that they wanted to be a zombie interpreter to make sure that both sides could be represented fairly. That's, I find that really noble, but that's not my skill. So the superpower that I would have is to sow dissension amongst the zombies. I mean, cause they're always working together in the movies. I'd be like, this group of zombies, you know, they say that you run slower than them. Or to another group, this other group of zombies, they say that your decaying flesh smells terrible. Are you gonna take that? And once the decision is sown, competition naturally happens. And once that happens, you know, next thing you know, you have these zombie capitalists and their societies are destroying each other from the inside out. And hopefully by then, humans have built a really big spaceship and we can go live on the moon and I'll be the moon and I'll be the president of the moon. <laughs> really though, zombies are a great example of collectivist culture. Zombies know how to share. They're great communicators because you never see them fighting over the same piece of meat. They're all like, you know, you take the arm, I'll take the leg, and we can switch off on the next human. <laughs> They're never stingy. Like the humans who are always fighting over the last Twinkie. They're operating, the humans operate from a scarcity mindset, which lessens opportunities they have to organize on a large scale while the zombies work together and everyone gets to eat. Honestly, I don't know why the humans in all those movies never took advice from the zombies to see what collective community looks like. Not only do we fight less when working together, but we can come up with solutions a lot easier rather than the humans figuring out they don't have to be jerks to each other to live halfway through the movie. We, in the real world, don't have to act like we're alone when we're not, like we're the ultimate source of knowledge. The zombies don't, and they always get things done. They know, even on a primal level, that it's not simply the bigger the numbers, the better the kill, or the better we're going to do things, but that collective thinking is necessary for existence. No man is an island. To bring it back to the Magi, collectivism kept them safe. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 says that an angel contacted them through a dream, telling them to go a different route to avoid the king who lied about his intent earlier. Whether one of them had a dream or shared it with the others or they all had the same dream, they decided as a group to avoid Herod as a way to keep the baby safe. Communal effort, creative solutions, group decisions for the win. And Jesus didn't have disciples for nothing. I mean, yeah, he taught them stuff, but they were also his companions. Even the Son of God had friends to give him advice and ask for help. Communal effort, group decisions. With all the problems going on in the world today, or even in the microcosm of your personal life, it takes creative and communal problem solving to actually fix them. 
The nativity shows that ours is a history of anxious and uncertain people working together. No man is an island. We need to stay connected in order to stay creative, in order to figure all this stuff out. I challenge you this week to really think about a problem that you're having and think of a person or people that can help you solve it. Prayer and meditation definitely count. Sometimes asking someone for help may require getting professional help, but whatever the issue, make this week the week that you take the first steps. On top of that, I challenge you to think of new ways to stay connected to communities or participate in new communities. Maybe you've never done a Netflix watch party, or you can teach older relatives how to FaceTime. Good luck with that. Or you've been lurking in the sermon comment section and you haven't joined Sacred Witnessing. Um, consider this a push. Join Sacred Witnessing. It's really fun. Make this week the week that you get help and find community or be those things for someone else. Now more than ever, we need to build community. Now more than ever, we need to be creative. I've actually grown to hate the phrase now more than ever because I feel like it's rarely used right. When Trump was first elected, that phrase entered popular media and white girl Twitter. Now more than ever really meant, I just started noticing this. We need to eradicate racism now more than ever, aka racism is still a problem. Trump needs to be stopped now more than ever. AKA, I don't like this particular white man and I'm starting to realize no one really benefits, at least on the soul level, from whiteness and patriarchy. But in the age of corona, where the world is facing a pandemic and consequences like we've never seen before, now more than ever, let us be with each other and for each other. Let us draw inspiration from the Magi, from the nativity, to learn how to handle life's problems creatively and in community. Amen.